pray together. Dear Lord, my my honest and humble prayers as pastor um, is people uh, people would have no guilt, people would have no fear, uh, not because they do it on their own or their own strength or because they've read five steps to a healthy life or something like that but because of Jesus and what he's done and that they would know that they're forgiven and they would know that a a future of joy uh, awaits that's our prayer Uh, so melt hearts dear Lord not by us but by your spirit and dear Lord make us weak so you can be strong in us and through us Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, stay on that passage in uh, in First Timothy, First uh, Timothy one, and we're going to be there, kind of going to go through those verses, but uh, starting a a new series. That's a short series, three weeks, and. Um, We'll talk more about it in the fall. It will tie into some stuff we're going to do. But uh, the series is uh, it's called As We Go. Uh, As We Go. And you all have heard me use that phrase before. It's kind of uh, become a, a popular phrase, I guess, maybe in the life of Bellwether. Because it ties into what Jesus said in the Great Commission to go. But the little Greek word uh, was not an imperative of go. Uh, for all you Greek scholars, myself included out there. It was actually... Uh, an indicative, which meant as you go. That may be more information you wanted to know. But it plays into our lives because Jesus was telling his disciples then, now, don't just go. And he's saying you don't even have to go. As you go, make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach what I've commanded. As you go, in your work, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your life, in everything. And then if you want to go, great. But as you go, every day, every hour. So uh, over the next three weeks, we're doing as we go. And um, you know, it also ties into as we go into the summer. Many summer plans. And I hope, our prayer is that you'd be thinking about as you go into your summer plans, how would you disciple others? And as we go into this new property, what are we going to be about? Are we just going to be about a building? Or about our mission statement to raise leaders. So uh, next Sunday, we're going to be hitting as we go as a family on Mother's Day. And then the Sunday after that, Pentecost, as we go as a church. But we're starting out today as we go as, as individuals, as a person, as a leader, as a disciple. And I like really starting out sermons and sometimes series with just a question. And so, you know, the last we did was the question, what happens when you die? And we hit that for a month. And uh, today, the question would be, what makes a strong Christian? Like, how, how would you define a strong Christian? Because we say that all the time. I mean, I've said it, and I think many of you have said it. He or she is a strong Christian. Well, well why? What makes a strong Christian? Uh, as we will see, a couple things that don't, honestly, is... Um, Knowing God's word doesn't make you a strong Christian. Uh, the Pharisees knew it cover to cover. 
God's word, could recite scripture, could throw it out. Uh, they weren't really for Jesus. The biggest givers in this church or any church or every church does not make you a strong Christian. Uh, Jesus also kind of hit the Pharisees on this, that they give and give and give out of their plenty, and then he highlighted a single widow who gave all she had. And it didn't even compare numerically or financially to what these others gave, because they had plenty. Um, Going on a lot of mission trips uh, does not make you a strong Christian. And I say that as the guy who's always pushing folks and inviting folks to go on mission trips. I love it. We require staff, uh, full-time staff, to go on one mission trip a year. I believe that it's just a shot in the arm. I believe you, you, the Holy Spirit fills you and you see him in different ways and you see the global church. I think it's wonderful. But going on mission trip after mission trip does not make you this strong Christian. Because quite frankly, I've also seen folks who just do it as an escape. An escape of their life. And they come back and, you know, still it doesn't carry with them. It doesn't connect. Um, being the one who serves the most in any church does not make you a strong Christian. I mean, I've seen this not just here, every church. Because what happens is a lot of people say, well, I served, so I deserve. You know what I'm saying? I deserve uh, a leadership spot. Uh, I deserve to be kind of known in the inner circle. Uh, Hey, I was in the first 30 here of Bellwether. I've served, man. I poured it out. Blood, sweat, and tears. I deserve something. I deserve to be a leader. Nope. No, wrong reason. There's, there shouldn't be any inner circle in any church, and we're, we're doing our best to make sure that at Bellwether, that even if we were one of the 30, man, we want to invite and love and shepherd, and there's one circle. And even if you're always doing the right thing, a morally responsible person does not make you a strong Christian. Um, again, not to like hanker back on the Pharisees, but... They're, they're kind of there in Scripture. And they, you know, did no wrong except try to get Jesus killed because uh, he was saying, you know, your works won't be what saves you. Your morality will not save you. So, so what makes a strong Christian? What makes a strong Christian leader? And before I go any further, I want to say this. And um, I uh, have to applaud my wife for this because she said, make sure you tell him this because... She knows what I'm talking about. And, you know, we talk about leadership, and there's so much literature on leadership. I mean, from business to military to spiritual, everything's leadership. Everybody's a leader. And sometimes you think, well, I've just, you've got to be type A, and you've got to be organized, and you've got to, you know, hit every, dot every I, cross every T, all of that. And l- let me just say this, to be a strong Christian, to be a leader for Christ. I mean, one of the mantras here is anyone can be a leader for Christ. You're a stay-at-home mom, leader for Christ. You're an administrative assistant, leader for Christ. And I hope today and in the weeks to come, and in hopefully your life at Bellwether, you will see that, and we want to encourage that. So the passage in Scripture was out of 1 Timothy. And uh, actually, the next three weeks are going to stay in 1 Timothy. And I love this, this letter because it is uh, Paul writing to a guy, a pastor that he loved, Timothy, young pastor, and it is very, very practical. Um, it's not up in the clouds theologically. It's like down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, dirty stuff of the workings of a church. And I just want to read a quote from a guy named uh, Will Williman, uh, his, course, his uh, commentary on this letter. 
Will Willimon uh, is um, uh, United Methodist, and um, he's a big leader in the denomination. Uh, United Methodists are Christians, uh, at least some of them. Um, that was kind of supposed to be funny. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, but, uh, you know, not just Baptists and Presbyterians are Christians. Methodists are, too. Um, but some think they aren't. Anyway, here's what he says about First Timothy, and this is, uh, this is interesting. Um, here in First Timothy are writings that take seriously the mundane but utterly necessary tasks of church administration among folks who don't always want to be led, teaching among people who don't always want to know, and discipline among disciples who would rather do their own thing than follow the apostolic faith. Interesting. Um, he goes on. And he says that uh, a close reading of 1 Timothy reminds us, get this, that the church, capital C Church, is a mess and always has been. Cheer up. <laughs> um, what he is saying and what, if you read through verse, 1 Timothy beginning to end, is uh, you will see a lot of messiness that uh, they had then in this church, which many things is wrote, written to the church in Ephesus that he was being pastor. And, uh, and every church. And that ties into what I'm saying about everyone can be a leader for Christ. And, you know, especially uh, here when we build our, our perfect churches and want our perfect churches and they're pristine and everything. That, man, it's, it's messy. I mean, life is messy. Growing in our faith is messy. This thing called sanctification, which is like disciples, is, is messy. And part of it is just having faith that God, I say this over and over again, God fuses broken people pieces of glass, broken people, and creates a mosaic that is his church and shines his light through them. I believe that. That's why I'm committing my life to the church. I hope you'll believe that. And know that we're not trying to be pristine and perfect. And we'll acknowledge, man, it's a mess. But God's greater than any mess. And he's going to get us through. So I say that as encouragement to us. And Paul is writing to Timothy as encouragement to him. So back to the question of like, you know, what makes a strong Christian? And Paul, in the passage that Dobby read, is hitting some things that don't, and then we see some things that do. And first off, knowing God's word, knowing scripture, knowing verses, doesn't necessarily make you a strong Christian. And this is the first thing Paul really hits in verse 3. He says... Certain people teach a different doctrine, verse 3. Don't occupy yourselves with them, with their myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations rather than the divine training that is known by faith. But the aim of such instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Some people have deviated from these and turned to meaningless talk, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions. See, there were teachers that were coming into this church, and they were focused on the law. When I say the law, really what it was meaning is like what you should do, works, morality, and, you know, here's the how-to. And it was all about doing. It was all about a law. It was all about morality. And Paul says, no, that, that's not the gospel, and they're false teachers. And there were other folks that were coming in, and, you know, again, they could recite Scripture, but verse 5 is the key here. The aim of such instruction, which would mean the instruction of the gospel, the true gospel, is love that comes from a pure heart, 
a good conscience and sincere faith, a pure heart. And, you know, often, honestly, like today, I mean, in all churches, they're teachers, and, I mean, I've seen them, and you've probably seen them. I mean, their heart is probably, their heart's black, honestly. We teach Jack this. We're like, you know, your heart's black, Jesus makes it red. Jesus makes the black patches go away. It's black with unforgiveness. It's dark with bitterness and resentment from either past church experiences, to be honest, or somebody's hurt them, and they carry that. And they can know Scripture and, and recite it and everything. But they don't have a pure heart. And Paul was hitting on this then, and we need to hit on it now. What you know is it, it doesn't make you a strong Christian. First and foremost, having a pure heart. He says a clean conscience. I mean, can you, can you stand and say, hey, I've sought forgiveness from God. Hey, I've sought forgiveness, which is even harder, from other people. I've, I've repented to other people. Those are qualities that, that I believe would make me want to follow a teacher or a leader and not just what they know or can recite. Another thing that Paul hits on tying into this is, is what we do. And so let me say this real clear. like What we do, being a good person, being moral, being a morally responsible person, does not make you a strong Christian. So he hits on that. He picks up in verse 8. He ties it with teachers of the law. He says, we know the law is good if one uses it legitimately. This means understanding the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and disobedient, the godless and sinful. And then he goes on to list all these sins, murderers, fornicators, slave traders, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So often, so often, you know, it's about what you do and what you know rather than being transformed in the heart by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and let, letting that change you from the inside out. And we so try, listen, we so try, both here and other places, to change from the outside in. And we say, well, if I memorize Scripture, and if I do good, and if I, like, I don't know, quit drinking or quit smoking or, or quit shacking up, it, it's going to change my heart. And then, like, ten days later, you're back at it again. What we do externally is not going to change our heart. What we do will not change our heart. Jesus changes hearts. And when we gaze at Jesus, when we look at Jesus, when we think about what he's done, when we let it penetrate, it will change you from the, out, from the inside out. It will. But Paul here is saying, you know, the law is good if used properly. The law is a pointer. The law points to what is wrong with us. The law shows us, man, we need Jesus. The law shows us we can't do this on our own. The law shows us that all of our efforts are going to be in vain, ultimately. And only the work of a king, as we sang about, can, can fully change us. So, what we know does not make us a strong Christian. And what we do does not make us a strong Christian. So, what makes us, or what will make you or us, a strong Christian? What will do it? And this is where I believe we see what it takes to be a strong Christian. And Paul continues. Verse 12, he says, I'm grateful to Jesus our Lord 
who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. Paul killed Christians, just so you know. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Stop there. Uh, Just think about this. Paul just rolled out some pretty serious sins, okay? Uh, Liars, perjurers, murderers, fornicators, all that. And then he says, hey, I'm the worst of all. I'm foremost. Here's these sinners and me, Paul, that, you know, wrote uh, about a third to a half of the New Testament. I'm the worst. I'm the worst of all these cats. Humility. Repentance. Paul is literally repenting to someone he is mentoring. You catch that? I mean, we, we may like to mentor or shepherd. And you don't have to be a pastor, you know, raise people up. And Paul's saying, I'm the worst. Man, don't, don't be like me. I'm weak. I'm a sinner. And I'm the worst. Humility. Repentance. Tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul, um, he did kill Christians. He did everything in his power to stop the spread of Christianity. And then he met Jesus, literally, on a road, blinded by light, and his life was changed. What many of you may not know is after that, he didn't just start going off into the mission field or into the ministry. He took some time away. He spent three years, three years really in the wilderness. He says Arabia in uh, Galatians, he talks about this. And he went away, and he really communed with God, prayed, studied God's word, you know, repented. Three years. And at some point, scholars don't know, but at some point, he received this vision of grandeur. This vision that no one really before and no one since has ever received. It was really a vision of perhaps heaven. Uh, he called it the, uh, the seventh heaven. He called it that, you know, he saw this vision of what, uh, what heaven would be, what the kingdom would be. We, we, we're not really sure, but he saw this glimpse of living with Jesus forever in eternity. Bottom line. And like, it, it totally transformed him. And, you know, I think about Paul, and you, know, you won't find this anywhere in Scripture. So this is just my opinion, that God took a man who killed Christians and persecuted them, changed his life, and then gave him this vision of eternity and God's eternal mercy and his eternal grace. And it filled him so much so that he became the Paul that we know of, the Paul that started churches, that the Paul that was the missionary throughout the Mediterranean world. That, that, was, that was Paul. And there's been no one like him since. I mean, his letters are in Scripture. His, his words have been used by the Holy Spirit to change thousands of lives. And then God gave him something. Because, you know, he, I mean, he's Paul. He'd be pretty high and mighty. Like, look what I've done. Look how many churches I've started. Look at what I've written. God gave him something. Paul calls it a thorn. A thorn. And he... Um, he fleshes this out in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And it's going to be up on screen here, but I want to read it to you. 2 Corinthians 7, excuse me, 12, verse 7 through 10. Paul writes, Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, too cocky, translation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. 
Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Whenever I am weak, then I'm strong. Leadership. Strong Christian. What does it take? Weakness. Repentance. Humility. So Jesus can be strong in you. There is a, uh, there's someone I admire uh, a great deal. Um, he's a professional athlete. Some of y'all are going to think, well, you're just saying it's because you're a big fan. But no, actually more so. The great Mariano. Mariano Rivera. Uh, baseball fans here know who I'm talking about. Uh, sports fans should. Uh, the greatest closer of all time. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. And the thing I admire about him, actually he is a... a, a I hesitate to use strong Christian, but he is a, uh, he is a very strong Christian. And um, he actually, when he retires, he's thinking about becoming a pastor. Uh, I think he'd be a great pastor. And he says, though, the reason I think uh, so highly of him, people ask him over and over again, how do you do it? Because he has this, what we call, and you baseball folks know, this cut fastball, okay? And he throws it, and it's not that fast. I mean, it's, it's not like, you know... It's not like power, arm, you know, 100 miles per hour. But it cuts, and it breaks, and, you know, a hitter will see it coming, and then he'll swing, and he'll, like, cut inside. He literally, like, saws off bats with this ball. And he's done it for years, I mean, over 15 years. And so people have asked him, like, how do you do this? You know, what is, what is this deal? I mean, how have you done it? What makes you strong? His response over the years has been, it's nothing I do. God gave me this gift. He's like, literally, I just I throw this way, and the ball cuts. And he's like, I, I really can't claim it. It's all God. And he gives all the glory, all the credit to God. Again, his, his faith is foremost in his life. He's thinking about becoming a pastor. He is retiring to, to be more active in his church. I don't know if he'll be a pastor or not. But he always he gives the credit to God. And how often do we, look, God's gifted each and every one of you. Uh, many of you, all of you really in multiple ways. And so whether you're like type A, strong man, you know, get the job done, you know, brainiac or, you know, iron man or whatever, iron woman, you know. I mean, God, God's gifted y'all. He has. I want to encourage y'all in that. But God gifted y'all and God gifts us. And we should return the glory and the honor to him in all we do, in everything we do. And you know, where we're weak, we should say, man, we're weak. And God will make us strong through it. So, just some practical stuff. Because, as always, Monday cometh. It's like, you know, okay, so what do I do? What do I do? Here's some things that, from Scripture, make us strong. A strong Christian. First, simply pray. Pray. Second um, Timothy, excuse me, First Timothy again, 2, 1. Paul says, first of all, first of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Pray for everyone. Pray for your enemies. Pray for everyone. And let me be honest here. We are, we're great 
uh, I think as a church and as a people generally, we are great at visiting. Man, we, we love to visit and we got like, you know, a lot of mojo, hospitality, gifts and stuff. Man, we are, we're not great in prayer. Let me just say that, okay? Um, you're like, man, I, I pray all the time. Okay, do you? Do you? I mean, do, do you pray throughout the day? I mean, one thing that God's really convicted me about, Joseph and I have talked about this. If you want to grow this church in prayer, we talked about that property, what God did, what God can do. That, that is an answer to prayer. We didn't do anything there. God did it. And I believe the more you pray and the more you call on God, the more you make your request known to God, he will give you an answer. Whether it's the answer you want or not. Philippians 4, Paul says, make your request known to God by prayer and supplication. Pray. Realize that there are things that we can't do and God can that's saying, we're weak, you're much stronger than, than I am. Instead of, and man, we fall into this, and I'm, I'm hitting on it because I fall into it so much. We want to do, and we want to work the angle of the relationship, or we're going to get the to-do list done, and that is so much more important, in all honesty, to me and to us, than prayer. It is, if you're honest with yourself. You're like, how do I know? I've seen it. I've seen it from professed Christian leaders. Pray. Pray, give your request to God. Something else to do, be thankful. Philippians 4 again, when Paul says, make your request known to God, and then the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, will give you thanksgiving. It's very simple. Pray, God, here's my request, blankety, blankety, blank. And if you choose differently, thank you. It's very simple. Pray, God, here's my request, blankety, blankety, blank. And if you choose differently, Thank you, thanksgiving, thankfulness that God is strong and that he can do much more than we ever could. Prayer, thankfulness, humility, humility. Paul, Paul is very humble here. He says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner. And humility, if properly done, leads to repentance. And I will say this, as pastor in, you know, being a pastor eight years or so, it seemed like dog years, 60, you know. um, I have been baffled by the inability of people to repent. Baffled. You're like, I repent to God. You repent to other people? You say, I'm sorry? Not much. Not much. You call somebody up and say, man, I, I need to repent to you for... You didn't say anything. Well, there's some things in my heart. Baffled by inability to repent. And you want to talk about being a strong Christian. Prayer, thankfulness, humility, repentance. Repenting to God on our knees in prayer. We should live lives of repentance every day. I mean, if we're all honest, and you you know, I'll be the first one. I mean, we've all sinned this morning. We've, We've all sinned coming into church. Either thought, Mind, heart, you've sinned, right? I've sinned. I've sinned at some point uh, today, this morning. Please, let's, we should repent every Sunday. You get an opportunity every Sunday. Get on your knees on the altar. Repent. And maybe you need to repent to somebody. Maybe as a friend, maybe a former friend, maybe a former spouse. Repentance. And then last, and you know, this is what I think Paul does so well that we can learn from. Own our weakness. We always focus on the strength. And a lot of leadership stuff say, hey, focus on your strength. 
Live in your sweet spot. Focus on the strength. Hey, instead, own your weakness. Like, say, I'm weak here. Like, say, I'm not great here. Hey, this is a weakness. Hey, say, this is a thorn. This is a thorn in my life. And we do that. Watch God work through it. Watch God make it a strength. Watch God use our weaknesses as he has used even Paul's thorn to keep him humble, to keep him repentant, to keep him strong. Like, how does it keep him strong? 2 Corinthians 12, 10. In weakness, we are made strong. How do you do all that? You're like, great, you just told me it's not what you do, and then you just said, do this. Gaze at Jesus. I like to think about, I like to talk about the two gardens. Two gardens. Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Eden was a perfect world that God had created to live among us, to live with us. And Adam and Eve weren't perfect. And they sinned, and they chose poorly. Sin entered the world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you have the exact opposite. You have sin all around. You have corruption all around. You have the Roman guards coming to get Jesus. You have Judas betraying him. You have his followers dozing off, not being with him. Everything in sin. Even Jesus experiencing spiritual warfare, being tempted. And what do we see? We see Jesus humbling himself. We just see Jesus bowing in prayer. We see Jesus owning his weakness. He is literally saying, Father, take this cup from me. Father, I can't do this. Father, take it away. But if you will, if you will it, I'll go there for them. He prayed. He was thankful that his Lord, his Father was with him. He owned his weakness. God made him strong. And he went to the cross for you and for me. How do you do it? You got to gaze at Jesus. You got to look at him, at what he's done, at his life. And then we can live out Philippians 4.13. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. A lot of you are, um, will not own weakness. Uh, A lot of you need to repent. Um, A lot of you... You know, we all like to claim how strong we are, a lot of us. Uh, We have, gang, I love you, but there's a different model here throughout Scripture, different different leadership manual here, different way to be strong. And it's, it's totally opposite of our culture. And let me say this, you know, you don't always have to be a pastor or missionary or, you know, just strong Christian person. I mean, the humble housewife or stay-at-home mom or administrative assistant or, you know, just, just all of us average Joes, man. And we pray and we're thankful and we're humble and we repent and we own our weakness. God will make us strong. God will do a miracle through you. Use all the weaknesses. And that's what I want to see here. I want to see God just using some weaknesses and turning them into strengths and people being humble and people repenting to one another and people doing it not because we can't do it on our own but gazing at Christ and getting strong from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, that, thank you for the gospel that in our weakness you are made strong. I pray for our folks.
I pray for myself. I pray for our families that we would own our weakness, that we would repent, and not just to you, to one another. And you would melt hearts, and we'd see the glory of the gospel, and we'd see a man like Paul, Paul, who says, I'm the worst of sinners. And that your word would convict us to gaze at Christ, because we can't do it on our own, but thank you that we have a Savior who did. Help us to know that Savior. Help us to know what he did. Help us to know that only in him we are made strong. And the weakest of all of us, and all of our weakness, he will make us strong. I pray you'd help us know that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.